3: Okay, hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Beer Ladies podcast, where we bring you a weekly dose of beer-related conversations. I'm your host, Tandy, and with me are my friends and co-hosts, Christina and Lisa. Now, for a quick bit of context and an intro to the podcast. This, uh, this idea was formed and born the way that all the best ideas are, over a few too many beers on a staycation. So throughout COVID and uh, lockdown, a few good things happened. And one of them was that our beer ladies meetup group went from sort of a monthly casual brewery tour group to a thriving online community full of interesting conversations. And we wanted to share some of that with you. So in this podcast or in this episode, really, we're going to head straight into some seriously spooky season history. We're going to be looking at the connection between alewives and witches and why stereotypical witches are not really as closely linked to alewives as we thought, or are they? We're going we're gonna to dig into it. But before we get stuck into that, right, let's go around the table and let's go with what are we drinking tonight, ladies? Christina, shall we start with you? Tell us a little bit about you and what beer you've got tonight.
2: So I'll start with my beer. So I am drinking uh, Zither. It's a Vienna lager from Dewdrop Brewhouse. It's in Kill. Um, so I'm really excited Ooh, nice about label. this. Yeah, I like the branding. It's really cool. Um, I just ordered a 12-pack uh, mixed case from them, and it came super fast. So I was really excited. I ordered it on Saturday, and it got here today, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, and so far, it's really good oh yeah look Ooh. at that color my goodness it's really nice like it's it's everything I want a Vienna lager to be I'm very happy mm-hmm. with it um and I had high expectations and <laughs> Vienna logger is um, such a nice
3: style though and it was hot oh, there, like, so wow. that was really yeah
2: that's a good I one. I didn't I didn't think I liked lager until I went to Prague last year now I'm just obsessed oh. with lagers ah yes
0: Yes. uh now what they need to do is get some vienna lager at the one good mexican restaurant i finally found in dublin that that would just make it perfection a vienna lager but we'll talk about <laughs> oh, that i'm yeah. sure in a future episode awesome. oh yeah
2: oh right who am i yes <laughs> let's, so, let's hear it so <laughs> why you should listen to me um
3: <laughs> especially on these history episodes right
2: right <laughs> <laughs> who is this who's this broad um So, so I actually, I have a PhD in history. Um, I'm, well, I'm originally from America and I moved to Ireland to do my doctorate. Um, My degree is in medieval history in particular, uh, but I do do research much more modern than that. So since I completed my PhD, I've been researching and writing a book about uh, beer in Ireland, Uh, the women who brewed it, the people who drank it, sort of the clash between cultures, um, colonization and its impact, those sorts of things. I also run a blog post, or a blog post, a blog, <laughs> um, called Brachiatrix, and I write particularly about women in beer history. And um, about today's topic, I wrote a long and meandering post about this <laughs> a couple years ago, and it is, a rant that is very dear to my heart. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to having a go at the history channel.
3: Oh, (laughs) fantastic. And we will link, we'll link that article in the show notes below and in the descriptions below. So all of that will be available to everybody out there in podcast and YouTube land. Okay, Lisa, your turn. Tell us about you and tell us about your beer.
0: Sure. I will. I'll start with the beer first because that Mm -hmm. is easy and delightful. I'll have better lighting Mm. next time, but I have four provinces. Gabfluch. Did I say it right, Christina? You've lived here much longer, so maybe. But uh, four provinces. They're a local uh, local Dublin brewery. I like that they have everything in English and Irish. It's very, very cool, Mm -hmm. and it's a dark, mild, which... As anyone who starts to listen to this podcast regularly will know, I love Dark Miles. They are my jam. They make me very, very happy. But
3: indeed, as
0: far as why you should listen to me, so I, uh, I'm also a transplant. I think that's one of the fun things about our group is we have women from all over the world. We have women who have grown up here in Dublin. All over the place, we're all sort of brought together by just this drink we love. It's so much fun and, you know, we have such a good time. But uh, I am a BJCP judge, so I can judge your homebrew competition beers that you enter. I will tell you that. You either got your sanitation wrong or your temperature wrong, because it's almost always one or the other. But trying to give you constructive feedback. But uh, uh, like Christina, I also come at this from a beer history angle. I used to write a regular column for Serious Eats on beer history. My academic background is as an archaeologist, but I know nobody wanted to hear about the trade of amber in the late Bronze, early Iron Age, even though it's actually really <laughs> interesting.
3: Where. I'm sure there's a market for this somewhere. (laughs) Oh,
0: absolutely. This is why I'm not in academia. Yes. But uh, I also have a a huge interest in um, folklore and fake lore, especially. But I I love anything to do with ghosts, witches, demons. I collect ghost stories, um, all of that kind of thing. But I especially love, too, where we can debunk something. Because I, I love the stories and how they evolve and what they tell us. But I also love where we can say, nah, that ain't a kid so that's that's where I come in this. I both love the lore and also want to be like, the real story's more interesting, so that's why you should listen to me
3: okay. really, really good. Back to you, yeah, back to me, okay, so I'm going to tell you what beer I'm drinking. um I have got a hop on from Hope, so hope is oh. also, yeah, hope is also local to dublin um they're they're in the north of Dublin, and this is a hop on and it's a session i p a and i had actually never tried this one. So I was kind of surprised. You, you know, when you go to the store and you're like, oh man, I've tried everything here. Um, I'm not there yet, but I am in some of the stores around me. But this one, this one snuck up and uh, pretty chuffed to have found it. And what I do like about it is that since it's our first podcast and since we're all in Dublin, it's got the dot on it, which is yes. our, train. <laughs> our train. It's our train. Even though it says New York on it, which is a little bit bizarre. <laughs> but, yeah it's it's my first time, and it is it is quite beautiful it's golden, oh, I, I
0: have a fun fact a about hazy. that beer not to oh, hijack yes? but I, I will no, say it me. was the uh the last beer I had on draft before lockdown in a pub, and the first one at um, oh the same pub when we went back after lockdown ended, so it was just so happy to have that beer fresh and hope they they do an amazing job love what it yeah
3: does. hope hope do really do some great great really beers nice. yeah. And I've been meaning to visit their brewery for ages, um, yeah. but yeah, need to. We will we'll organize a trip.
2: The beer ladies yeah. keep saying we're going to go, and then lockdown happens, and so we're waiting for this <laughs> to kind of, and then we're going. Yes, yes we're going. Yes,
3: we are absolutely <laughs> going. Okay, now before we dive right in, I'm going to give you a very quick. Summary of me. I am, uh, I'm Tandy. I'm from South Africa, not New Zealand, not Australia, not the <laughs> UK. <laughs> Although I'm sure the, 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 the accents are all going to meld in at some stage. Um, I've, I've been done for two years almost exactly. And before moving here, I used to run a, a beer blog in South Africa called Craft Geek. And I used to review beers. And, um, I used to also write periodically for the on magazine, which is South Africa's first beer magazine. Uh, I've got a particular interest in things like the design and the branding and the labeling and, and, and sort of that perception of the beer. Like that really, really interests me. Um, and that's kind of what I like to do. I like to design. I'm a designer by day and in a beer person by night. And yeah, that's what I'm hoping to bring. So are we going to get into it, ladies? Should we oh. have a quick cheers?
0: We are going to get into it here. Yeah.
3: Cheers. Launcher,
0: Salantra. Yeah. Sure.
3: Cheers, guys. Cheers to, a, to our first podcast episode ever. Here, here. All righty. So, the first question that I need to ask on behalf of kind of everybody what on earth is an alewife and how are alewives connected to witches?
2: <laughs> or not? We'll let Christina Or Not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> so, an alewife is a term for a medieval European. Uh, brewer. It's Brewster, Alewife, they're all kind of used interchangeably, Um, particularly because prior to the introduction of hops in many places, we're talking predominantly about ale, even though we were calling it beer history or Mm -hmm. we're saying beer, we're really talking about ale for the most part in the very early medieval period through the high medieval into the later medieval when hops start to take more over and we start to see more beer production. But that is very dependent on where you are because hops are really prevalent in some places pretty early on and not in other places. And then this is a big bone of con- uh, con- uh, contention that <laughs> scholars um, that people will kind of fight about. So I don't want to get into that too much today. But that's basically what an alewife is, right. and uh, the whole. So the reason why we're kind of having this podcast is because there's a there's a thing that's going around, and I'm going to single out the History Channel because I think they need to be more responsible, and they 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 launched this video, um, which appeared to claim that medieval alewives were the. Were the beginning of the modern pop culture, witch that this is where this idea of the pointy hat and the black cat and the broom, it's all all from medieval alewives. Of course, this is just, just not at all true.
3: Now, can I, can I quickly butt in? Because I've got to tell you that even I've seen a couple of things about this. And I I think there was like quite a long article. And I probably um, shared this probably a few years ago where it was literally all of these tropes, right? As you say, well, as you're going to say, hat, cat, broom, cauldron, all come from something to do with with alewives, and that was something that I think went viral a few years ago, and keeps going viral. So this idea of of an alewife, of these women who brewed beer and witches being linked together, um, is quite a strong thing in society, right away in culture.
2: But it's really, it's, it's really mm. seductive, right? Like this idea that yes. like witches yes. are from alewives, because we know that um, misogyny is rampant, and the patriarchy has really done a great job at destroying uh, any kind of field that was dominated by women, and just completely slandering the people that that did it. Now. There are links, potentially, between the people who were accused of witchcraft in the medieval period and alewives, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But what we're going to talk about today is Lisa and I are going to go through the black pointy hat, mm-hmm. the cat, right. and the broom, and we're right. going to debunk all three of these and how they just, they just do not come from the alewife, unfortunately, or fortunately. Okay and yeah that's kind of what the the premise
0: of today is exactly Fantastic. and I think it's important to say too like you see it and at first at first glance you're like oh it makes sense of course oh down with the patriarchy again valid reaction but when you start you know unpeeling the layers you're like oh actually no there's more to this than meets the eye so for people who are like oh should I feel dumb that I didn't know no no not uh. at all <laughs> This no. is the thing. You have to unpack this hidden history. Like that was directed straight yeah. at
3: me. Thank you, Lisa. I'll take Not
0: it. Not at all. Not <laughs> well, at all. No. And especially
2: like, like I, un- it's gotten picked up by a lot of bloggers and I exactly. understand yes, why, yes. because if you have, big organizations like the History Channel saying this thing, mm. they should be a reliable source. And on this one, unfortunately, they're not. And and it is something that, you know, historians such as myself and Lisa and, and there's a couple others who are just coming out and saying, hey, hi, yeah, no, not true, sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. But it, it is completely understandable why people would think it's true. And
3: I guess, I guess it was also seductive during a time when, really the patriarchy or this idea that that men have been so misogynistic and so systematically uh, patriarchal throughout society like it's really it was really something that you almost wanted to believe you wanted to believe that exactly. that women didn't succeed that beer was actually a woman's thing and now it's a man's thing and this is why and it was linked to witches and witches were both at the stake and oh my god beer and woman heresy you know all of these things and it was kind of it is as you say christina it was kind of seductive and I think socially the context was right for that narrative to take over. And especially because there's bits and pieces of truth in all of
0: it, but when you pull it all together, the the picture doesn't quite knit together. So that's the the problem. It's, you know, you, you get pieces of knowledge, but again, something like I have the same problem with the History Channel where they used to have history on and now it's... This other thing. And so it was it, like you know, it was like
3: MTV and music then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Showing my
0: age, but yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Even mine. <laughs> okay. So which one are we tackling first? Are we going black, uh, pointy, hat? Pointy, pointy hat? Pointy hat. Pointy <laughs> hat. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Tell us about so, pointy hats.
2: So my first frustration is that this idea that everyone in the medieval period, all these alewives had some like pan medieval millinery garb, which is just, you know, nonsense <laughs> um but even even going beyond that we don't see the pointy um hat clad witch until really the 18th century in something called children's chat books, which is basically like a pamphlet of tales uh-huh. so in when we'll, we'll have the show notes, and I will have in my article some pictures so you can see these images of, of witches with the pointy hat, etc. But this is this is the 18th century, so this is way, 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 way later than these medieval alewives existed. Um, and so I do have several of them cited here. Um, there's some woodcuts and 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 some some things there to see. Um, so we do see also Goya, uh, Francisco de Goya, he did a painting called Witches' Flight and he has sort of, um, pointy, pointy hats, um, as well, but these are on male witches and they did not have a brim. Okay. So we do see that, but again, this is 18th century. This is, you know, 1797, 1798. So much, much later. When witches are depicted in the medieval period, so when we're talking about the medieval alewife, um, when we're talking about witches from that time, and even later, even into the early modern period, the early early modern period, sixteen hundreds and things like that, witches are p- depicted bareheaded, or okay. they're wearing just the hats of their time, just you know a bonnet or whatever mm. was on trend. Of their time. Yes, exactly. or sometimes they had sort of the medieval henans and things like that, but nothing, um, n- no sort of particular um, style of pointy black hat. Now you do see the medieval henan because this was associated with vanity, so there is an idea that perhaps this was used a little bit more, and you know something kind of like the devil's snare. So <laughs> when when we're talking about this, think maleficent you know mm. the, the two prone sort of pointy hat so that is kind of common but that's associated of course with vanity so
0: <laughs> yeah and we, what's we, kind of ironic about that is is actually they end up looking more like nuns if you look at the ones sort of of the period because that's just the medieval dress and they would have had you know again you know the different kinds of hair coverings but fancier ones in this case if they're not bareheaded and it's it's interesting that you know we, we don't make that connection often that you know you, you, that's it's effectively just a medieval style of dress it's not like otherwise unusual but they would have looked more like you know your eighth grade teacher for anyone who went to catholic school in america than
2: you you know someone with a pointy hat and a stick and all that and and that was the scary thing right for the medieval yeah. from it was it was oh it could be anyone it could be anyone right it's not this this person that comes out in this creepy garb that you know is 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 basically flashing bright lights at you i'm a witch <laughs> with my hat and my you know it's, it, it, it's you know grandma next door mhm So that, that was kind of, kind of the thing. Um, So, so where did the pointy hat come from? Exactly. Um, There's, there's, there's not academic consensus on this. So, which means basically we don't know. Um, (laughs) Or that there's lots of arguments about it. So I can go through a couple of the theories. Um, So one is that they are drawn from classical depictions of the goddess Diana. Um, so who was associated throughout these eras with witchcraft, um, the goddess of the hunt, and this idea that women would go out at night, ladies of the night, um, were associated with Diana. Uh, another is, of course, from the medieval Henan. So it was just descended from, from this medieval Henan, and it eventually became just the one point. Um, another is that it's an exaggeration of the dunce's cap. I think the more reasonable explanations um come from there's a one scholar, uh Peter Burke, um, and he postulated that the witch's hat and indeed the portrayal of the witch at all with a hooked nose, um, all stem from virulent anti Semitism. So Oh really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he described um the witch portrayal as sort of absorbing Um, an amalgamating with um, contemporary depictions of Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Um, And he called this the migration of stereotypes. So these things sort of came together to become the modern witch. I mean,
3: totally as a layman here, but I mean, was anti-Semitism a thing in that time?
2: Oh, huge. Yes, very, very badly. Um, Oh, wow. Okay, um, I didn't know that. Anti-Semitism has been around, unfortunately, since the beginning of time. Yeah, Uh, Medieval people... Uh, for example even it, uh we'll, we'll talk about the black death for example during the black death mm-hmm. they blamed jewish people for the black death and carried out massive pilgrims burning thousands and thousands at the stake uh they believed that jewish people poisoned the wells and that was what was causing uh, the black death and so they were specifically targeted wow. it's horrendous oh, yeah, it yeah it They've lot- never been safe yeah wow. yeah I, I i didn't know that oh yeah we could go on and
0: on about just oh, terrible things yeah. that have happened pan-european but it, it's interesting though too to to sort of circle back on, on two things because I, I have to first of all get out my, my little hobby horse you know, were mentioning the yes. black death we're in a pandemic but again what myth to bust because i always do it whenever it comes up is whenever people say ring around the rosie or ring a ring of roses whichever version you know is about the black death it's again one of these things people think they know because nice. it makes sense right but again the, the earliest versions of the nursery rhyme are actually, again, sort of either very late 18th or early 19th century even. They don't go back to even the 1666 plague. It's so just, they weren't
3: around during the time of the plague. They
0: weren't around. It's not a sort huh. of folk memory. And and folklorists, I I had some wonderful folklore professors as an undergraduate. It would be the first thing they would tell you to be like, popping the bubble now, day one, you're not going to believe this after you come out. But it's again, people don't know, unless you're, you know, in there studying it. It's, It's just not a thing that you find out so it always sounds like a neat little know.
3: anecdote or a neat exactly. little story exactly <laughs> so it, it just it's just like you wanted to fit you know you want, you it want it to be to, like an occam's razor kind of like well, it's exactly. simple it makes sense it's perfect it yeah. works yeah.
0: It's, it's a very sort of x-files thing too like you want to believe because it's so mm. simple and you but it also has the sort of dark and many you know children's rhymes and songs are very dark like there's no yes. argument about that they do have yeah. deep dark roots many of them yeah. some not as much as people would like to think but uh, right. sort of sidebar there but then i'm going to loop it back to again <laughs> the 18th century and thinking about the depictions of witches i mean you have this explosion in cheap printing and so you get the chapbooks you get broadsides there are thousands and thousands of broadsides about uh, you know songs especially things they would have sold for a penny or less depicting you know witches depicting the black cats these, these all right. start to come together around this time and kind of the popular consciousness and, and again Often some of these things we think of as being kind of folk tales were very much manufactured for cash. There wasn't necessarily this long-standing tradition. Some of them there are. They do
2: this draw is, from
3: this some. This is like other medieval things. clickbait. That's it, what it, it was. is. It
2: yeah, absolutely was. yes. Well, well, I, I mean, we could yeah. the whole the whole two horned Viking thing is a Victorian exactly. made up thing. Like, their Vikings were One not production. running around with two horns on their heads. Like, yep. not even close. No. It's just Victorians like to make up stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, so there were storytellers. That,
2: absolutely, you
3: know. absolutely. Okay. they fantasy, love fantasy to make up storytellers. Stuff. I mean, absolutely. But but, but, I guess, but I guess every generation has their stories, right? But I mean, okay, but how is this persisted?
2: Like, how has it? Because oh, it's, it's, sort of it's seductive, right? People yeah, like right. those kind of stories, and people, unfortunately, don't look too much into them. You know, you hear a story; it sounds plausible. You like it, yeah. okay? This is true, mm. and we should be able to trust the people that are telling us these stories. Still and, a problem today, yes? And problem,
3: we, yeah, yeah.
0: We
2: can't. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and think about it in like a creepy pasta context. These are new stories that even now some of them are, you know, five or 10 years old. People think they have this, we'll say deeper antiquity, if, if you like, but th- you know, someone wrote them once on a lark and, and here they are all out now, you know, you hear, you know, black eyed children and these other things that have sort of leached into the, the sort of public consciousness, but th- they're new stories. They're not old stories. Again, sometimes they draw on old forms. And again, we could talk about that for a long time, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the form. It's not the sort of, actual content that's uh yeah that's sort of the longer term thing which is i think fascinating i love the idea of why do these things spread and and sometimes it's not a good thing when they spread so you have to kind of have no. that sort of what does it mean and you know, what can we find out about a society when we see this again you're you know from an archaeological perspective you're always trying to unpack what did it mean why did they do this but sometimes you have to take a step back and say like Maybe they did just because it was looked cool or was fun or, you know, it doesn't have to have. Lisa, that's against the the, the,
2: against the primary religion. code of archaeology, which is everything is because of ritual. Yeah,
3: rituals, rituals, reasons. It's, it's like, exactly. don't you remember like being in English class and the teacher would oh, say, yeah. like you know, the curtains in this book were blue because of her mood and her soul. And I bet it was just a descriptor sometimes. Like no. it, we needed to f- figure out the word count. So we described exactly. a curtain color you know whatever
2: yes. like, it is it yeah. it's it's the it same thing like people, people, deep want deep people want to people want to ascribe medieval people oh you know they they only drank small beer which was low abv and it's like no okay you know what everybody likes to get a little tipsy yeah, like, they like, like to place. get a little tipsy and
0: we could debunk <laughs> too it's probably another time but debunk the whole thing about oh well they they made the beer cuz the water wasn't safe to drink it's like okay again there's an element of this oh. You can't make beer with dirty water. It doesn't matter no. how much you're boiling it, it's still
3: gonna be disgusting and people are. You know, I've always wondered water. about that one, but no. I've never exactly it's heard just, the definitive note it's to that. It's
2: Such no. nonsense. <laughs> Medieval people absolutely drank water. I mean they absolutely drank yeah. water, but there's also this idea, there are definitely some some speakers and some minds at the time who would say, drink beer over water. In yes. certain in certain Absolutely. circumstances. So Heldegard von Bingen was one, and she said, particularly in the winter and the snow mm-hmm. is melting to to reach for ale. But they definitely drank water. Mm-hmm. But we do know that they did have some conception of, of water and oh, yeah. disease as okay. to kind of circle back to blaming Completely. people, people who were Jewish for poisoning mm-hmm. the wells and that causing disease. If water caused disease, then it was because of poison, and not yeah, necessarily because someone had because- done something. Yeah. Yeah, right. but but I mean, people are smart. They're not stupid. They have this idea: dead body in water, probably don't drink the water. Yeah, they're not they're not dumb. Well, but hope, yeah. you know, they don't have germ theory. They don't yeah. understand say, that say, these yes. tiny yeah. micronis- microorganisms yes. are causing disease. Yeah. I mean, they blamed the Black Death was also blamed on sort of poison air, and yeah, and that's why say, they had it's all about the air, right? And, yes. yeah, oh, and and then of course God being god being very mad
0: mm, absolutely wow. although that sentence again they don't know about yeast so that they're, they're, no yes. one's 100 percent sure what is the magic that's you it's know the magic stick happen exactly so you mm. know it's not there's nothing to it but it's no, you it know quite the way over, that we've been sold it yeah do it's we overemphasize stick. things yeah but a magic stick is important i mean you know
3: very important magic stick absolutely can I also have one of those, please? Thanks. Right. Amazon Prime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are we then nicely segueing into into broomsticks here?
2: Is well, that first, first I want to finish, because there is one more thing, because I think the most yeah. compelling argument for where the hats come from right. is that there was actually a... Popular hat from the 16th and 17th century that looks basically exactly like a witch's hat. Um, it could be flat on the top, but it's got a brim like this, and it's black and it's pointy, and it could be, you know, like I said, flattened up here. But it, it yeah. um, I have pictures on my article, yep. so Ooh, you can look at those, yep. and they're uh, they're called pharyngian and Capuchin hats i my pronunciation is probably brutal on that because it's one of those words that you read but you don't hear out loud so exactly. yes yeah, yeah you never quite but, so this hat was associated with puritan costume um in the years leading up to the english civil war and in the age of the commonwealth so we know that this was a popular hat, and sometimes when they're depicting witches or alewives, they want to use something to give them an idea of difference. so they potentially use the hat to ascertain or to ascertain to demonstrate that this they were wearing older garb, that they were not in fashion, that this was oh. you know not trendy, kind of kind of you know mousy not so th- There's there's Sempians. that argument there yeah yes. there's that there's that argument which makes a lot of sense considering if you when you see these pictures of these hats you're gonna go oh
0: and especially
2: you know the association
0: yeah. with the puritans even when they were in power they were still kind of the other because like let's be honest like they were boring people except for when they did awful violent things so it's kind <laughs> of you know it, it's like the worst of both worlds but That's the thing. They were never fashionable. They were always, you know, it's very sort of, you know, other, almost otherworldly in some ways. They have different beliefs. They have different, you know, very different, very not fun approach to life. So it's a whole, whole lot of things to unpack there.
2: So it might, it might mm. be that the, that, that it may be an amalgamation of two ideas. I think the most compelling are the antisemitism, which was also mm. worn by heretics and then sort of the Puritan hat. And the, and the two of them, since it looked quite similar, might've just merged into the pointy hat. And that's where we get the pointy hat. But needless to say, yeah, I just Proving disproving this one, the whole thing goes up in the air. Oh sure, but, yeah. oh, sure. but we'll, we'll 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 look into brooms and but cats for funsies. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> but now, so so let
3: me just see if I've if I've understood everything correctly. Right, the Puritans and 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 basically the Jews, like people didn't like any of them. Okay, so because there might have been some similarities in terms of style or in terms of um, what they were wearing, it could have been amalgamated. And because there was already some sort of um, a stigma, I guess, to both of them, is that maybe part of the reason why it could have been adjoined?
2: Well, the Jewish are not, people that... Not quite. Jewish people that wore the hats did not wear them because they wanted to. Oh, it sure. was forced on them by decree in certain circumstances, and it was also something that they forced heretics to wear. So that was not mm. something that was culturally desirable by the people at the time. Yes. Um, whereas the those other hats were at the time, you know, popular within their within their circles. They were yeah. quite popular. There's lots of images of wealthy and noble European women and also men wearing these hats. There's Loads of paintings, mm-hmm. so it, it is a quite a popular hat. So what the, yeah. the there's a possibility that later on, yes, um, they used either the the hat to 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 represent that these women were wearing an outdated fashion, possibly right. associated with Puritans, that was not um, appealing to the masses at the time, or also that they were wearing. Uh, the pointy hat, which was associated with heretics, mm-hmm. and this violent anti-Semitism. And it is possible that they found using the pointy black hat representative of both ideas, and then it sort of fit their purposes perfectly. But I, right. I do think it it, it probably comes from, from just using an outdated hat. Mm. Um, mm.
0: Yeah, and then I think, too, then you wrap it up with 18th century printing, where it's cheap. They're going to reprint the same thing again and yes. again and again, the same image so over sense. different songs, different, you know, different chapbooks, but they'll just use the same blocks because that's cheap or they'll just keep using the same lino print. Like it's all, uh, I mean, if you all those things, sorry, yeah. linotypes later, but uh, woodcuts, sorry, but yeah, you're going to keep using the same things because it's cheap. So once that image is out there. You're That's it. Using it. But I mean, there. if
3: you've if you've ever seen some of like early Disney works, you'll see a lot of the same kind of characters used over and over again, oh, yeah. and a lot of the same mannerisms. So, I mean, reuse is a really valid reason, um or a very valid cause of things being like prevalent, I guess, through time. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so hats. Hats basically. <laughs> hats. Hats, hats are not a thing, no hats. guys. No, oh, hats, hats are not a thing. And actually, men wore them too. Yeah. They went still so, wear a hat. Yeah. So how on earth do we get to broomsticks?
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so the so what I've seen floating around is that the witches riding brooms comes from the alewife's ale steak. Um, and an ale steak was like a pole of sorts, uh, that could have potentially had a garland or a bush attached for signaling the sale of ale. This is... Oh, right. False. Okay? <laughs> Straight um, up. Yeah. Just, there's just nothing here. Okay. So um, witches are portrayed as riding um, brooms, but all manner of sticks, staffs, shovels, tridents, pitchforks, they weren't limited to the broom. Oh, no. And okay. So, okay, so, okay. And in is, all that a modern, research, is that a
3: modern witch thing, that it's always a broom?
2: We're going to get to that. Okay. Um, I'm building. <laughs> we're building. Yes. Um So, so an ale stick might qualify as a sticker staff, but in my research, I have yet to see um, ale staff specifically referenced um, as a flying device for witches mm-hmm. in any of the early modern or medieval primary sources I've been investigating. That is a shout-out. If anyone has seen that, please send it to me, because that is really interesting. Yeah.
3: If you find us. one. yeah, Email us, tweet us, Facebook yes. us, Instagram us. We'll have all the links down below. Yes, because being wrong is not bad. We love new no,
0: evidence. No, no, no. Yes. New evidence yes.
2: Yes, I, I want to be as accurate as possible. So if you disagree with me, send me a reason why. Yes. With primary sources. There. Yes. Primary sources.
0: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. As a former archivist, yes, primary
2: sources. Bring primary, <laughs> primary sources. Okay, for the
3: uninitiated, um, what is a primary source? Oh, that is a good question.
2: A really good question.
3: <laughs> yes. The archivists
0: want to take this one. Oh, go on, yeah. So when when you get all of those original manuscripts, all the sort of things people hand wrote back in the day, or when you right. get you know letters, when you get uh, you know basically things before they're printed. Although things that are printed can also be a primary source, depending okay. on what it is you're trying to research. But uh, yeah. basically, all the original stuff that was sort of un uh, unfiltered, if you okay. like. Although. Again, right. even when it's someone's journal, they, they've done a lot of filtering, so you have to do right. a little interpretation. But everyone's yeah.
2: biased, including exactly. yourself, and yes. no one's a reliable narrator. In fact, journals that are written by people are some of the most unreliable things oh, yeah. because we just lie about ourselves and to ourselves and all sorts of things. So when I'm when I'm calling for a primary source or a source <laughs> about an ale stake in in a witch trial, I mean. Mm. The legal record, yeah, of you can find a witch that trial paper. that says she was flying on her ale state. That Perfect. is what I'm looking okay. for. Okay, yeah. and so if anybody has people.
3: that, please send it because we, oh. we'd love to be proven wrong or learn Absolutely. something new anyway.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. and there are yeah. amazing transcripts of witch trials, and some crazy oh, yeah. stuff comes up again, mostly by men, but sometimes like they'll interview a horse or a dog. Like it is, yep.
2: Bonkers. They executed a pig once. They hung a oh, pig yeah. because it killed a baby. They're what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay.
0: What? There are people who specialize in this. Like you can, you can get lost <laughs> for you know years. We can go on a long tangent
3: yes. about this. Oh, Guys, how do you yes. interview a horse?
0: What? <laughs> but they did, didn't they? So that's, <laughs> oh, they did. That's, <laughs> they did all
2: sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh my what? goodness. Uh, and
0: you give it, like, and and it's it's the, the other weird thing. And I'm sorry, this is another tangent, but you unpack it like uh, the um, you know, the the witchfinder general. Dude was actually like in his mid twenties, I want to say something like that, and like very young. And off just decided he's like, I'm in charge now.
2: Um, yeah, and just and made up his credentials and just made up him. Oh, he's and, a terrible like, person. Was responsible for all these women being executed, but, but again, just because you know the,
0: the sort of he decided one day this was the thing he was going to do. Gonna just do. do. Just like, you know who can solve this problem? Me,
2: based on, and I'm going to call myself the Witchfinder General. Yeah. So, but anyway, we, good we, God, we, man,
3: I, oh, yeah. I'm not weird.
2: Uh, again, the arrogance like, of men. And we can, <laughs> it's so though, again,
0: there are people who specialize in this, but like the way witches, and which I'm getting I'm putting in air quotes, were treated in, say, England compared to Ireland are
2: vastly different. Like really, different approach, with yes. a couple of
0: exceptions,
2: but okay. yes. hugely different. And even in so, Scotland's the worst. Hmm. England didn't have very many witch trials compared to Scotland and Ireland yeah. didn't have very many witch trials compared to both of them because the Irish had the Irish to scapegoat instead of actually needing <laughs> witches. <laughs> um, but that, that's the thing that we can that's talk awesome. about in the next episode because it's very uh, – the Continentals were the ones who were really gung-ho about oh, the yeah. uh, the witch trials. Really? They, the Germans in particular really liked yeah. to burn and, and kill uh, people was, who was were just
3: – like directly related to a level of superstition.
2: So yes, and <laughs> yeah, it, it, it yeah, it's a yes and. Okay. Um, but back to the sticks and the and the brooms. Right. And- so the witches are actually depicted in riding animals, and this might be modeled on the followers of Diana. As I said before, the goddess Diana was really associated with witchcraft and with witches. And more to the point, witches were also depicted as flying with not the need of any instrument at all, and just the devil-powered wind. I want that so badly. <laughs> oh,
0: off they go. You don't it's like a any... great way to travel. Yes. No more commute time.
3: Yes. No. So in
2: 1324, in the trial of Alice Keitler, in the city of Kilkenny in Ireland, and if you go to Kilkenny, you can still go to Alice's public house and see where she lived, and it's really cool, and you can have a beer there. It's highly recommended. Big black
0: cat energy. We'll talk about cats later, though.
2: So the prosecution stated that, quote, in rifling through the closet of the lady, they found a pipe of ointment wherewith she greased a staff upon which she ambled and galloped through thick and thin. Uh, cool. And the ointment is important. Big deal. It's really important. And it, yeah, it's something that people miss a lot when we talk about staffs. The ointment is an important part of The whole idea because in medieval thought, the medieval thinkers of the time, the medieval literati commonly believed that witches couldn't actually fly at all, that this was completely denounced. Instead, they thought it was a hallucination brought on by the devil. We've all done. And, yeah. and <laughs> for for example, in uh, the corrector by Bouchard of Worms, the Bishop of Worms in the Holy Roman Empire, dating to 1008 to 1012, so this is really early. He he talked about how witches could not actually fly, and in the very famous 1487 Malleus Maleficarum, or the Hammer of the Witches, it's viewed that metamorphosis in any any form was a demonic illusion. Quote: Therefore, it is evident that it is evident the demons cannot actually affect any permanent transformation in human bodies. That is to say, no real metamorphosis. So the idea that anyone is flying is generally believed to just be a hallucination and this is where the ointment came in because some scholars argue that there were hallucinogenics in the ointment the ointment was actually something that people might have used there were hallucinogenics in the ointment and that might have made them believe that they were doing these things but this of course is one of those things that there's no consensus about no nope. right fine hey this is bean and you're listening to the Podcast.
3: talking about brooms and how they've become associated with witches over time so christina let's go back to where you were
2: so why the broom so so the scholar brian levick has argued that the broom was associated with women and its use might uh, might quote therefore be therefore reflect nothing more than the preponderance of female witches so because women use brooms that, that was enough of a connection it might be to some scholars and and as we talked about before sometimes things just are it just mm-hmm. it's just what's mm. handy and what's convenient um and it might just be a symbol because it reflected the large amounts of female witches and mm. actually we have an illustration from 1451, which might be the oldest extant images of witches on brooms. And I have that in my article. And it, it is it's a witch on a broom um, and a witch on a stick. And again you see no no hats, just the garb huh. of the day. So where did the concept of flying women originate? Why are mm. why are they even flying? Who wh- where did this come from? Mm. So the idea uh, that a witch was a night flyer was likely uh, an amalgamation of several strands of folklore and an ecclesiastical conception that emerged in the late 12th and early 13th centuries when monks created the idea the image of the heretic as a quote secret nocturnal sexually promiscuous devil worshiper so basically all
0: in one package wow all the cool
2: kids are sounds fun sounds fun yeah (laughs) let's go there (laughs) but not at that time not at that time. No, no. Yeah. So this would fuse um, two two distinct conce- concepts in existence in Europe. Okay. So the first is the Strega, which uh, dates the classical period. And the legend, the story here, is that women transformed into a flying screech owl at night <laughs> and devoured babies. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> Lord. And then the, the, oh the second strand is that women would leave who would leave their homes at night to follow Diana, the goddess Diana, on the wild what? hunt, also known as Ladies of the Night. Uh-huh. Um, and beliefs in both of these were powerful in commoners. Commoners believed that this was a thing. Yeah, wild and, hunt, very popular,
0: very big, all across Europe. It's a hugely uh, you know, sort of um trying to think of a good word for it but so sort of hugely uh i guess a sort of emblematic thing of you know bad things happen at night they're they're all out you know mm. it's always it's all- when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off
1: your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
0: All these people who are either being punished or who are like unbelievers who are off, you know, doomed to hunt forever. And, you know, it's very big in Germanic cultures, but it's all across Europe,
2: really. It's a big deal. It was, women believed this so much that they even said that they did this. There were women oh, yeah. going, yep, this is me. I'm out there. I'm, I'm on the wild hunt. Yep. What? Yep, yep. That's me yeah. doing this. But, this but is the surely, thing. But
3: surely you didn't want to be associated with it. So why would you raise your hand and say, yep, absolutely. That was me last night. You saw me at 2 a.m.
2: Well, until the 14th century, scholars didn't believe this. So they thought it was a a delusion of the devil. And you also have (laughs) to remember that witch trials and burning witches aren't really a thing thing until the late medieval period and the early modern period. Like In early medieval period, they really didn't believe in witches. They thought that people who thought they were witches were just it was just an illusion from the devil. These people weren't well. Mm. They were, you know, the devil was hurting them. They were heretics, maybe, but they this 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 in this virulent hatred of witches and this need to like burn vast swathes of the female population just wasn't there. Yeah, it's a
0: much later thing. Yeah. Mm.
2: So, you know, when women were saying this early on, the scholars were going no. Yeah, they're <laughs> no. like, you think that no yeah it's messing with you
0: exactly it actually does kind of go from being like oh you need help to there's a lady who's scary and i'm not sure why but i'm a i'm gonna do something about it so it's a weird
2: it's a weird thing yeah it it definitely completely shifts Yeah.
0: yeah and you can tie it into a lot of reasons like there's a whole shift in just the economics you know everything that's happening at the time you know Lots of different things you could tie it into, but it's not. There's not like one thing that sort of tips it over the edge. It's it's a lot of things over a period of time. But yeah, mm-hmm. but
2: it's, it's just not the view earlier on. Oh man, and that's we'll talk history, about isn't it right?
3: Like lots of things over time. The exactly, context is everything.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and we'll touch yeah. on that next week, especially when we'll talk about the the links between which is and economics. Economics. Yeah, yep. There's
3: there's
0: a, there's a story there, but we'll we'll get into that later. Yeah, we're getting that.
3: Yeah. We're getting into that one later in the month. In fact. That exactly. one's that one's going to be great.
0: <laughs> For so, all those people who are excited about economic history, but no, it's really cool. Come join us. Yes, it is. Also, it's really interesting. It's, it is.
3: it's witches and beer. It's
2: great.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
3: Heck, yeah,
0: and the story's yeah.
2: not told enough. So we're gonna no. we're gonna bring it. Yeah. So and and more important than anything else. Mm-hmm is that the witch with the stick or the staff or the trident or the pitchfork predates the demonization of alewife in art and literature. So this idea of the witch with this stake or staff or or anything of the like is, is in existence way before we start seeing really negative depictions of alewives. So uh-huh. this this is an early thing. This was not created by alewives. This this is before them. So we have um, – this is before we start demonizing alewives, I should say. Yeah. Um, right. So, for example, in an anonymous 13th century poem, we have indeed – he adds, it would be a wondrous thing to see a woman riding a calf or a broomstick or a poker over mountains and villages. So this is way before the demonization of alewives, which happens sort of more towards the later medieval period. So broom and witchcraft, not to do with alewives. Also not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. So
3: no hats, no brooms. What have we got What have we got left? Cats.
2: This is my Yay! favorite. This is my favorite because it gets so absurd. Oh my God. The misogyny okay, is so strong in this one.
3: I mean, absurd. Okay. So absurdity is really fun. Misogyny, like misogyny, not so much, but yeah, <laughs> let's do it. This,
2: this will make your eyes roll so hard. It is so ridiculous. Okay. So oh. so
3: I so, so should we then say then that every time we are going to have a bit of an eye roll, we should have a little sip of our drink. Like, just for the funsies. (laughs) We'll probably be wasted. Uh, Fine. When you feel like it. But if you're listening along.
2: No, that's okay. Every time. Please
0: do. Yes, if you're listening at home, don't drive. No. (laughs) Hopefully, no no one's driving anywhere in this,
3: you know. No. No. Let's hope not. (laughs) Okay, great. So let's get into cats, right? How on earth are cats related to modern witches or the stereotype of modern witches?
2: Well, they're actually tied to heretics. So, <laughs> of course so, they are. so in the medieval period, um, cuts were associated with heresy, and there's so many sources for that. But they're really only rarely linked with witchcraft in the Middle Ages. It's not really until the early modern period that we kind of see the exclusive link. Um, so, for example, they were associated with the devil. So we have there's just this wonderful scholar, and I really, really recommend her books if you get their hands on them, <laughs> Kathleen Walker Melky. Makel, yeah. I'm so sorry, I butchered your name. We can, uh, link below. Like we, can, we can
3: get the link Michael, and put it down below
2: for anyone that's interested. Michael, yeah. uh, cites an example of the 12th century French theologian, Alain de Lille, who, quote, claimed the very name Cathars came from cats and that they worshipped a black cat, the devil in disguise, and would kiss its bottom during service.
0: Very big deal when we're talking about the Cathars. This is one of the biggest things leveled against them. It's a
2: whole thing. It's a huge thing. This, this, it's, it's of course complete bullshit. Yeah, it's all just made up, and it's propaganda designed to frighten and horrify the general population because the Cathars were heretical, and this was really scary. And so, yes, they did all this Satan worshipping stuff, and this idea that that they were worshipping a cat is something that we also see in the trial of the Templars. Oh, so yeah, it's all tied together. T-
0: during and not tied to the together in the way that that people who want it to
2: be tied together is tied together. Sorry, ah. yes, but it's a real thing. They're drawn
3: yeah. pictures.
2: Yes. Okay, right. But the, the, this this association with the cat is, and 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 the devil actually way predates, of course, alewives and the witch trials. It's mm-hmm. it's it's associated with heresy, and the Templars were accused many times of worshiping a cat. Uh, I taught a class at Trinity about the trial of the Templars and the amount of times this came up. Yeah. And this time you do
0: get men involved too, who are, you know, on the receiving end of this. So it's, it's, unfortunately it's everyone,
2: but. Okay. So it, yeah. Yeah. And it was a common accusation against heretics. Um, the association with cats and heresy and eventual witchcraft was argued by Wel- Walker Melkle that it had to do with their being both domestic and wild. So this idea that they were disloyal. Okay. They, Unlike natu- dogs, right? Yeah. So its natural hmm. instincts were for them to – to venture out and leave. Um, so Hildegard von Bingen, for example, referred to them as, quote, unfaithful. And Chaucer's Manciple's, Manciples Tale um, from the 14th century story collection, The Canterbury Tales. Um, the cat is depicted as the one who could have the most luxurious trappings, the best house, so nice, cushy, wonderful, but it would still abandon its owner to chase a mouse. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you, you know most cat owners uh, like value that in their cats, you know, they, they, and they if you are a brewer, that.
0: you know again, it does all tie together you you want the cat to be getting rid of the mice who are going to be in there trying to get at your
3: malt that's yeah. you know yeah, that's not a thing you want but but clearly something like independence and independent thought was almost at attack here, right you know like, yeah like, like the the fact that cats sort of thought for themselves and weren't sort of slaves to when they got fed like that that's almost what was being attacked.
2: it, it sounds it, it's, like. It's, it. It's Yeah, it's this idea of like it, it occupies a liminal space. So it's not quite domestic and it's not quite wild. And they can't control it as much. And, you know, for medieval thinkers, control particularly mm-hmm. of these sorts of things was really important. Anything mm-hmm. occupying liminal spaces was dangerous. Yep, um, it didn't a quite fit into a box. <laughs> now, that's, that's not to say that people didn't keep them as pets. Because they absolutely did. Right. And, and it wasn't a rare thing to keep pets. In the medieval period, people kept dogs, apes, squirrels. Apes. Yeah. Oh, crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, so yeah.
0: Singing cats, birds. Yeah, you get cats walled up, though, in medieval buildings that they would have been put there as kind of a sort of ritual. Ritual is a real thing here, though, kind of ritual deposit to kind of guard the house. We think lots of other things could have been protecting. Like, alive or dead, Lisa?
3: Alive or dead? It depends. You've got Schrodinger's Will you, Cats here. Yeah, oh, my God.
0: You get, yeah, you, you kind of get ones that were, you know, clearly not, you know, went, went in alive. But it, again, it's a, there's a whole sort of spectrum of folk belief to do with cats that, you know, we can trace back, you know, certainly through the early, you know, through sort of late medieval period and it's, and, and even into the early modern uh, and kind of into today, it's still, it's still all there. But uh, yeah, they, they get the, um, uh, they get the rough end of the stick in a lot of it, so mm. I know well, we fell from grace.
3: Then. I mean, my goodness, compared to like Egyptian times and
0: stuff, oh
2: like. yeah, we're the gods. Yeah, what the hell happened? Honestly, they never oh. really held a high place in in European continental culture. Uh, uh, yeah, and okay. they were always kind of viewed in a shady way. Um, but then again, this is like en masse, in- right? certain specific people didn't have the same oh, sure. idea but I know what everybody prepared to roll your eyes because I'm gonna talk about something really depressing and very angering Okay, get your drinker ready get, get your, your drink ready. ready yeah and this is about female pet keeping in general so women okay. who kept pets in the early modern period and in the medieval period and this was something that just created a lot of anxiety for male thinkers Why? so pre- they're dumb (laughs) because of misogyny Mm -hmm. so uh professor erica fudge she's an expert in renaissance animals and their relationships to humans um and she says obviously this was really misogynistic and she said quote attacks on female pet keeping implied a number of things without a firm male Hand, the woman would make such a mental descent that she would disregard the differences between species and show herself to be close to the beast. That she might, perhaps even more subversively, misrecognize the role of man to such an extent that an animal is felt to be able to fill his place. And that instead of reclaiming perfection she would reenact eve's temptation by the devil and make the animals not merely wild
1: but satanic
2: that's amazing oh man so <laughs> in short women and pets were thought to be a particularly dangerous combination
3: oh my god so so, so just basically anti-men like that was it women women got pets because because they didn't uh, they didn't respect. I don't know men's roles, and they replaced oh. them with pets. Right, basically.
2: Well, no, 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 no. Like, cat, it's because a good. woman could I, what? A, a woman could mistake her pet for her husband. Honestly, she, and oh, her I'm tiny wrong. little lady brain, little lady brains, could, yeah, couldn't couldn't work out the difference between the pet and the husband without a firm choose. male hand. She needs a firm male hand with pet keeping.
3: But in order, in order for her to understand the difference between the man and the cat, well, like, it's just difficult, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> it is kind of hard. I mean, they're vastly different sizes, but
2: <laughs> you, you
3: know, you're definitely going to confuse
2: them. Yep. I, I mean, I can't tell my dog from my husband. My husband's six four. And my dog's like maybe twelve inches tall. But nope, no clue who's who. Same, same. Yep. Uh, I said mm-hmm. medieval and early modern Europe aren't a monolith. And different yeah. cities and and regions and stuff so like, did not agree with this and had different okay. relationships with felines. So there nuance. Yes. So so early medieval Ireland is actually a really good example of that. Cats mm. had a really high value. Um, there's actually even law tracks specifically about cats called the cat sections. Um, and a cat was valued at three cows if he could hunt mice. Ooh. And this is this is not That's- nothing. That's a significant amount.
0: Yeah. Anything really? That's. That's cattle high. are a big deal in medieval Ireland. Like the everything goes big back to cattle. Doings in cattle and are a big deal Ireland.
2: in
3: many cultures. I mean, some oh, from, yeah. from South African kind of labola, paying, oh. pay, you know, paying for brides. Kind of sure. You know, it's not yeah, that, it's not that crude, but cattle are worth a lot. Oh
0: Even yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's important when I'm saying these things that I, I'm very clear that I'm not talking about everyone and I'm not talking yeah. about everywhere totally. because there are absolutely exceptions. And early medieval Ireland has a lot of exceptions to a lot of this misogyny that you'll see mm-hmm. other places. It's just not there in medieval Ireland. They have their own flavor of misogyny, sure. we'll say. <laughs> Where um, was it the
3: worst, Christina?
2: Oh God, that's a hard. Continental question. Europe tends to be bad with okay. these kind of things, but but you know, again, it's really, really town specific, village specific. Okay. Um, a lot of these continental authors are writing things in one place, and then it's going to get picked up in in England or it's going to get picked up in Scotland. Um, it's more I can tell you where law tracks say something's different. Mm. So, so I can definitely tell you in medieval Ireland there are different ideas. Now, again. A lot of times when we're talking about law tracks, we're talking about ideas. So whether these laws were actually enforced or not is a bit different. So a lot of times when these people are writing these laws or these these writings, it doesn't mean everyone's agreeing with them. It just means mm. that there's this thinker that's out there. The idea might be popular. It might not be. And uh, medieval history is just a very big game of guesswork. Like we can't ever say anything for certain in medieval history because – People are unreliable. Don't really know how popular an idea was. So we can say that these things are here and we can make guesses based on what the surrounding material is. But I can't tell you for certain how prevalent this idea of cats being awful is among common everyday people. I can tell you that appears very common as a reason why to prosecute heretics, which tells us at a legal level they're using it in a way to – gain um convictions mm. and we're only dealing
0: with what we have i mean that's the thing the historical record is already biased just based on what records were created what was <clears> kept <throat> you know it's you know with, that doesn't make it a bad thing it's just that's what you have to work with and you have to sort of try to balance those inherent things that just are with you know what else can you find out whether again that's through archaeology through folklore through you know there's a lot of other things you can use as that can help you infer other things. But like Christina is saying, it's still kind of a guess. You're just, you know, using the evidence you have to kind of weigh up what, what fits the pattern most. How can you, you know, weigh it up? And, and, and then too, when you look at it through the lens of sort of like, or, you know, even like late 19th, early 20th century researchers, there's always this idea of wanting to have these kind of pan-European things that sort of harken back to, you know, whether it's sort of, you know, survival of paganism, etc. There's no real evidence for most of that, but mm. it's an idea that was so prevalent that we still have it very much in modern culture because that's what sort of early 20th century scholars said, so it must be right, right? And it's, <laughs> and then it, it, it gets sort of... You know, you see that all throughout sort of the 20th century and like the Nazis were very into this kind of idea. And so we still see it through kind of, you know, even like, um, you know, in in like a Steven Spielberg lens, that kind of thing turns up in like Raiders of the Lost Ark. None of these things were actually necessarily based on a real, you know, survival of a particular tradition or whatever. But that doesn't mean there weren't little things here and there that maybe did, you know, get through, but we don't have records for them or real evidence for them. So it's
2: it's tricky. Right. And 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 like circling back to like the medieval Templars, like the whole trial was a farce. It was oh, basically yeah. there because, you know, the king owed them a lot of money at the time and he decided he didn't really feel like paying that. Yep. So <laughs> he he took them to trial and accused them of all sorts of things. And initially the trial wasn't particularly popular, um, especially among the clergy. They were like, yeah, nah. No, 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 no. We're not really into this. This is not really a thing that we're going to be. Because they
0: doing. knew it could have been them on the block next. Because
2: you know that's right. You know and, whoever's and got then, money. Yeah, and then he just kind of pushed through it and pushed through it and pushed through it. But you know the Templars would confess under torture, and then they'd recant. And again, the 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 church was kind of like mm, really not here for this. Really, really not into this. But eventually, you know, the the king got his convictions. But, you know, how many lay people believed that the Templars were this bad? We don't yeah, really we don't know, know because mm. it was really kind of a noble thing. It was really kind of the elite having a go at the other elite. Um, so we don't – unfortunately, we just don't have as many sources from the common people uh, due to just the nature of the beast. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately. um, it's- So now,
3: how do you think – that these, these kind of like threads that have been touted as the truth, you know, these sort of stereotypes, how do you think it's harmed um, anything? How has it harmed the, the the stereotype of witches? How has it harmed the stereotype of women in beer? Like what is the effect of this actually? Mm, that's the a really question. good
0: question. Yeah, wait, and we'll probably unpack some of the sort of how it's harmed women in beer in the next one, just so some of the <laughs> economic changes and what, what happened over sort of the, you know, from that period where all women were brewing to suddenly where no women were brewing. So that's, uh, that's another one to unpack, but it's,
2: oh gosh. Yeah. Christina over to you first. I think I'm going to, I'm going to think a while. (laughs) So, so I guess we can talk about like modern impact. So I think anytime we have something that's, that's false, Mm. within our modern consciousness syndicate it just keeps getting repeated and repeated. It's detrimental, it's detrimental to the people who repeat it. It's detrimental to the people who talk about it. Um, it, it, it creates mistrust between writers and, and readers. Um, it creates this idea of, Oh, I trusted you. And this is, this is not true. And what does that mean? And especially when we're talking about reliable sources and again, I'm going after the big guy here, not the, the smaller bloggers because you should be able to trust those people. Yeah. And actually, I will send in our show notes, I'll have a link down below because there, there's, a, there's a professor in the U.S. who's actually start, looked and researched the beginning of this rumor, where it all began, um, and, and as it was just kind of a, a thrown-together thing, and there was no evidence for it, and it's just kind of gotten repeated and repeated. Yeah. And this, this is really dangerous because... Um, Particularly in the medieval, um, and I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but you know, um, particularly with medieval history, we're actually fighting a really, str- a really virulent strand of white supremacy who's using medieval history as a way to further their bullshit, yeah. and they're also, they're just l- yeah. oh, they're talking about how like m- you know European medieval history was just white and there was no people of color, um, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A concept conceptions of race are very different in the medieval period than they are now. Um, race was more based on language, shared culture, these things. Um, you're more likely to have um, racism towards someone of a different religion, or not racism, or prejudice towards someone mm. of a different religion than you are to have someone who is who looks very different to you but uh, practices the same religion than you are. Mm now yeah. it's, it's, it's just a completely, and also people more closely, probably more closely identify with their city and their locality than their country. Like this idea oh, okay. of a country. Um, of course, I mean, we're not even talking about places that have countries. This con- the conception of statehood is very different. This conception yeah. of identity is very different. You know, you're more likely to identify as a Dubliner, but not even a Dubliner, a Viking Dubliner, or an Irish mm. Dubliner, an English Dubliner, and within your, within your community. And, that's your community and so you're gonna be suspicious of other people um, and we'll kind of get into that in more depth so yeah, this, more this, this conception of like us as a nation versus other right. people as a nation um is is something that I mean there's so much research on this and when it was created and why it was created and it oh just- yeah
0: and people have always moved around all the time they're just like you, you know for as much as people like to be like oh no no one ever left my hometown until whatever you know world war one no it's bullshit it was true in certain individual cities or again towns but people have always traveled huge mm. cities, whether it's for trade or whether they just fancied going somewhere else like we, we don't always know the reasons but there have always been people just popping up at a different place from where they were born we can yeah. do that throughout all you know the whole archaeological record there's never like a monolithic culture even where there are, are
2: you know groups that have a lot of similarities we're mm. always moving around it's a thing yeah. it's always happening and, and they pick size based on who they like like within dublin you know there's the whole battle of clontarf and the, the you know the myth the mythos says oh it was the vikings versus the irish bullshit it was the Vikings on both sides and the Irish on both sides yep. fighting each other. And the, you know, the Vikings, and the Irish became amalgamated. They intermarried, they had fosterage, they adopted each other's children. They did all this stuff to the point where some scholars argue at some point you couldn't tell the Irish from the Vikings. Mm. And the idea of being associated with like natal kin or, you know, your, your, your kin your, your married kin who do you identify with more in medieval ireland it was more likely that women identified with their their natal kin than who they married into they would not pick their husband over their over their um their their father and their mother mm-hmm. and their because their father could divorce them from their current husband and they could get married again to another partner based on what the politics of the day needed so they're mm-hmm. more likely to actually have this bond with their natal kin than a husband who might be replaced um so the idea big of
3: family—that yes. like yeah. so, is so different. I mean, it's 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 fascinating how
2: different it is to today. You know, and there will, are scholars who will argue against that, but oh, should.
0: Sure. Yeah. that's the thing. We don't yeah. talk about this, and that's why, you know, to Christina's point, why it's so important to get to the the real history because the real stuff is so interesting and so multi layered and so much more diverse and, in some ways, strange to us than, mm. you know, we're used to talking about. We like to have things in a sort of, oh, it was like this, but only slightly different. No, some things are just yeah. bonkers to, you know, our eyes and that's okay, but it's it's important to know what was actually happening and, you know, yeah. and,
2: you know all that good stuff. And happen. when we're talking about medieval... Alewives. I have several problems with the idea because first of all, it centers a European female alewife in this discussion of women who brewed beer. When we know, like, for example, women in Peru have been oh, yeah. brewing beer in a high status way for, you know, for centuries mm-hmm. and centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And women it was in not Africa the- too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in Asia as well. And, and we need to stop saying, oh, medieval, because the medieval period happened, okay, throughout the world. So we need to be really careful with our language. And mm. also I don't want to erase the fact that the modern witch's depiction definitely has some virulent anti-Semitism to it. Mm. And when we just say it was ill wise, we're kind of erasing that. And that's not okay to do. Mm. Um, we need to, we need to really understand that There are some harmful things that influence the way that we look at the world. And maybe we don't understand that now and it's divorced from that or whatever, but Knowing the beginnings of this is important. And also the virulent misogyny that existed in the medieval period. We don't need to have it associated with alewives to know that it was extremely misogynistic mm. and that it, it caused the death of you know, tens of thousands of women who were accused of witches. And, and we don't need that alewife, that interesting, you know, that seductive story to make this just horrible. We can, we can, we can also say that mm. this is horrible. We don't need that link, I mm. don't think. Yeah, yes, and, and that's right. the thing. Yeah,
0: it, it takes away from you know what they did, what they were doing, what they were achieving, and you know it's it's important to say, you know, yeah, there were a lot of things they weren't allowed to do, they couldn't do because of society and you know all of that. But again, it's you know they did a lot at the same time, and you're sort of taking that away. If you're like, oh well, they tried to do stuff, but they were oppressed. Well, no, this is all, you're talking hundreds of years, individual lives, people, you know, men and women, you know, or people, you know, across whatever spectrum did all kinds of cool stuff and all kinds of bad stuff. And you have to be able to, you know, unpack yeah. all these gray areas, but also acknowledge that, you know, maybe, you know, Mother Redcap or whomever was making some, you know, and ale and everyone really loved it. And, you know, no one was like, and she's also a witch. I mean, that might've right. happened later and she might've been the local cunning woman. We'll talk probably more about that in another one. But, you know, it's also, there are all these layers of sort of identity tied up with it. It doesn't have to just be about what was taken
2: away, but also, you know, celebrating what was there. And, yeah. and, and it's just not true that women throughout Europe were removed from ale brewing or beer brewing at the same time. Yeah. And and mm. like my book that's eventually going to come out, I swear <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, uh, you know, it's going to talk about how different the case is in Ireland. Like in in England, we do know that women were removed from brewing when it became popular with men. And we'll talk about that next week as well. But it's just not the case in Ireland. And um, we know that women were brewing and much later and in a much, you know, bigger fashion, um, early and then much more prevalently later on. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's dangerous when we make sweeping judgments because we're erasing, as Lisa said, really importantly, all the women who succeeded and survived, um, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily, I mean, of course they had these horrible circumstances in which they existed, right? Like we know medieval society, in Europe, very misogynistic in nature. But some women still manage to flourish within that. And we don't need to erase their stories, as Lisa said. It's really important that we mm. talk about them and, and we don't forget them. Mm. Exactly.
3: But, it's, but it sounds anyway as if, you, you know, we've just, we've just kind of brushed this with a very kind of black and white filter. You know, we've lost the gray, we've lost the nuance, and that happens all the time. Oh yeah, you know modern stories are also just portrayed to be black and white. You know whether you're talking politics or economics or anything, it's just so it's 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 so bipolar in a sense, and and that's that's really not the right picture. No, so much in between there.
2: No, and and really, frankly, anyone that's talking about history and in black and white terms is just really doing a disservice to the field because history mm. is just not the case. We we really can't say for certain. Like I can, I can make arguments based on what I think is the most sure. compelling compelling evidence that supports what I think. Um, we call it meaningful conclusions mm. uh, based on the evidence. But you really, I strongly argue that you really can't say for certain anything because you can't get inside someone's head. You don't really know what they were thinking. Mm. You don't really know why they did the things that they did.
3: Mm. And you can only work with the evidence you've got, right? Exactly. You right. can only work with the, the, the records that you've got, and those are always going to be partial, like mm-hmm. partial, biased, and you're just, just try to fill in the gap somewhere
2: everyone's biased there's, oh, yeah. there's just no way you can completely remove your bias and if you think you can then steer fair and far <laughs> away from anyone who says that they're not biased
0: exactly <laughs> yeah exactly everyone just has to own like here's the part i see it this is why i see it that way and that's okay it's okay to own all of that and say well so here's my best take on it based on these things And again there's always bits you're not admitting to or that you're just like you can't even see that you're doing it and that's yeah that's okay that's for other scholars to come in and say okay but and, you know, that's kind of the whole point of the sort of what you're doing, like real historical discourse. You you want people to challenge your ideas and you want yeah. people to say, but well, what about this? Or have you seen yeah. that, way? you know, build on it instead of just kind of being like, ah, oh, well, this person on the high said yeah. X, they must be right.
2: And the whole right. point is actually to come out. Like I spent, you know, an entire chapter in my PhD talking about, here's my bias. Here's where I'm coming from. This is my, you know, theoretical framework. Here is where I'm working with. So it is important not only to acknowledge it, but to own it, to say, to come in and saying like, and I'll say this right now, I'm a feminist and I'm, I'm a theorist. I'm a, so I'm coming at things from a theoretical perspective. I want to pull everything apart to the tiniest bit that I can. I like to deconstruct everything. And I also don't like to reach facts. I'm not a facts <laughs> person. I'm a meaningful conclusions person, which drives a lot <laughs> of traditional historians. Absolutely crazy. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm very much owning what I, what I am and my approach to things. And I think that you mm-hmm. need to do that. I think that you need to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a socialist. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an anarchist. Mm-hmm. I'm whatever my, I'm a postmodernist, whatever your approach is, own it big, mm-hmm. bright neon sign in the beginning. So that way, when people read your, read your work, they're, they're kind of knowing what they're getting into. I mean, there's entire historians who are just devoted to tearing apart people's biases in works. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in my thesis, just tearing apart Victorian um, bias in their works because they don't like to, they have no bias. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a middle-class Victorian man. I have no bias. My opinions are facts.
0: <laughs> I have rescued all of these things from where they were in, you know, the benighted people of wherever and put them where my fellow, you know, rich people, you know, white people could see
2: them. And yes, like I, I found I found all these bones in this Viking burial, and I chucked them all in the bin except for the head, so I can do phrenology. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing. You know, the way we do these things changes, and it's important to say what you did, how you did it, and you know why. Why these were your conclusions? And again, it's okay for other people to come on later and be like, "Well, hang on, now we know X." But you know, unless you're working with the, you know, how you got there, it's tricky. <clears throat>
3: you know i have to tell you as a as a philosophy major and uh-huh. i used to teach critical thinking this was the thing that drove me mad because it was the one thing i really struggled to teach to people was to actually remove the bias and remove the the filter and be like Objectively, in any possible world, is this true? And therefore, you you know, to think about it, remove from your bias, remove from your sociological status, remove from your perspective, and to, to only examine the core of what you were saying. Whereas in most cases, when you're, when you're reading the newspaper, I mean, who does that? But when you're reading the newspaper, when you're listening to somebody speak, when you're, um, looking at a historian's perspective or whatever the case is, you, you're very much inclined to look at their perspective and their, uh, you you know, where they came from. And you're very much inclined to look at how that might affect what they're saying. Now, it may affect things and it could affect things negatively or positively but it used to drive me mad trying to teach people objective truth when that's the stuff you've got to get rid of but right. that's also the stuff that you need to make everyday good judgments like every day you need to be able to look at context and, and be almost empathetic and look from other people's shoes and say did they do this from this intention or that intention but man, when you talk about logical truth, that doesn't doesn't count at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Crazy. No,
3: it's yeah. hard. That's mad. So basically, we're saying now, Christina and Lisa, that that the modern witch stereotype, pointy hat, black cat, broom, not so linked necessarily to alewives at least not not, not as clearly <laughs> as as what we thought right not at all there's
2: just there's there's no links um there mm-hmm. we'll talk about next week the links between actual witchcraft or magic mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. and 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 brewing beer and alewives but but the modern witch stereotype is just it's just not from medieval alewives it's just right. not it's and, and, and here I go saying, I don't like facts, but here I'm going, <laughs> telling you, no, this is not a thing, but, but, but no, it's not yeah. a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And we'll, we'll get into it next, you know, the next time we have this discussion, yes. we can talk about the you know, folk belief and folk practice and, and the magic stuff that there's stuff there. It's just, oh, it's just not this. Oh, it's
3: just
2: so, not this. Yeah. There's a hundred, pr- there's absolutely links between alewives and witches. It's just not. A depiction, right? It's not like the pointy hat, and 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 it's it's more of the lived experience, and we'll talk about that, yeah, next. Yeah, awesome. Exactly.
3: I mean, that's really it. And I mean, I think for for the listeners and the viewers at home, you know, you know what what's really important is that we're going to be doing these kinds of historical deep dives every every month. Maybe once, maybe twice. We'll see how the schedule goes. But you know, there is always going to be some sort of interesting connection between beer and history, and especially women in history, right? Like And, and exactly. Christine and Lisa, you oh, guys yes. are the experts on this one.
2: But You'll we're get to hear me up. ranting. <laughs> yes. We'll do ranting, it. but we're going to mix
0: it up. There's going to be other things yep. we're going to do, different formats. There's going to be yes. people who are going to be less angry, but also more <laughs> angry. <laughs> it's all good. We're going to have Yeah, little... we're
2: going to do fun stuff we'll too. Stuff. It's not all going to be yeah. intense. We're going to do, you know, beer cocktails, the history of beer cocktails and just, you know, some, yeah. some more fun stuff. Maybe we'll talk. I mean, I made a malt tonic earlier this year. Maybe we'll oh, talk cool. about malt tonics. Gotta Actually, we should definitely talk about malt tonics. So yeah. it's not all necessarily going to be heavy, 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 uh, depressing, misogynistic history. <laughs>
0: um, no, we can all just do like fun historical homebrewing too and say, hey, look, we made a beer and it didn't explode unlike so many modern beers like we could do a whole (laughs) thing just on like your beer shouldn't explode this is a baseline like you have failed if guys
3: i've never had i've never had a beer explode i feel like a failed homebrew like i
2: i had i had professional commercial brewed beer explode in my kitchen that is unacceptable the same brewery i'm not saying who i know we're being very very we're being very good, but no. I'm not no. saying who, but I'm not impressed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, exactly. So I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to link any of the articles, images, things, stuffs, all everything that Christina and Lisa have written on the subject are going to be linked below. Show notes, descriptions, whatever whatever we got. We're also going to link social profiles. So, yes,
2: give us a follow on all the things we, yeah,
3: exactly, give us and a follow and ask us
2: questions. And if you have suggestions for, for further like history deep dives that you want, you're interested in, you want to know more, let us know. Let us research it. That's what we're here for. Exactly. Yes, and if we get like
0: weird misogynistic crap, we're just going to block it because we yeah. don't have time for that in our lives. So. Life's too, no, short. Life is exactly. way too short. I don't <laughs> care. But if you want to have a real discussion about all the history stuff, bring it. We love that.
3: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And as for the Beer Ladies podcast as a whole, you know, we're going to mix it up. We've got various things, interviews with interesting people. We've got general kind of casual chit chat, you know, we're a group of ladies and we're going to kind of rotate every week. So there'll be a different, you know, a couple of different faces every week, but we're aiming to release weekly and we're going to have interesting conversations, however serious they might get. And they're all going to be kind of beer themed, but I'll tell you what is coming up next week. Seasonal beers. So beers to drink for Halloween guys. What do we love at Halloween, autumn, fall? Dracula. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Spooky season, Dracula. right?
2: Dracula. Yes.
3: Dracula. Oh, Dracula. Candy,
2: show them your shirt.
3: Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Yes. I have a shirt. I have a shirt. It's my pumpkin ale shirt, and my one says, uh, "Pumpkin ale is like Marmite. You either love it or you're wrong."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and for those who are just listening,
0: Candy has some amazing beer-themed art on her shirts that are available I for do. sale. They're fantastic. Thank you. Go and buy. Yes, I'll they're amazing. All She's we'll so creative. Oh, we love, friend. we
2: love, we love Tandy. Tandy designed all of our art as well for the podcast. Oh, Yay! Big ups to Tandy. I'm just, just so blown away.
3: It, it's always a pleasure to do interesting designs, guys. Always. We're
2: here, and I here, think too
3: we
0: should summarize again for folks. We're all based here in Dublin, so you'll hear mm-hmm. a lot about Irish beer. We're very excited about the local scene, but we also have a really global outlook since yes. many of us are from. All over the place. So we're gonna yep. be talking to people from other places, repping beers we love from wherever they are. But again, Definitely. we want to give a shout out to all the locals.
3: Totally. And um if there are any suggestions for any future shows, email us, Facebook message us, Instagram, message us, do all the things. Slide into our DMs. We're gonna be watching, listening, doing all the stuff. <laughs> and uh yeah, if you if you enjoyed this, you know, really share it with a person that you think also might enjoy it. That's love kind of the number one. Bribe like it, do all it. The stuff. guys how's your beer should we have a cheers for the last
2: bits that's oh yes fierce. i switched beers yeah. now i'm drinking oh, drops no fury look
3: Ooh, how beautiful that is! it's what so psychedelic
2: it's a hellas what's oh, a hellas
3: oh i love a hellas Lovely. nice and refreshing you're on the lagers today very nice are you still in your dark mildly's i i all... am
0: it's it's a it's a school night so i gotta go eat, go easy so again highly recommend this if you just need something that's you know
3: Perfect. Do, do you know I still haven't found it. Like, I need to find it. I need oh, to order it. And- uh, order it directly I, from them. They'll, they'll,
2: they'll, yeah, they'll, that's they'll what just I'm bring it do. to you. That's I love four provinces. Their lager is just out of this world. It's I can't so wait till gross. they can
0: open again. They're putting in a beer engine in their pub. So, hopefully, soon. We, we need to tough. go back.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Road trip. <laughs> oh my gosh. we went When we went there before for the brewery tour, it was amazing. Yeah. Their toasted sandwiches were so good.
3: Yum. Ladies, we'll see you uh, next week or the week after. We'll see you whenever we're podcasting again. Wonderful. Love you, friends. Bye,
1: friends. Bye. Bye.